Uh, this is uh, Sermon 2 in our Proverbs series, and we'll have the Bible reading in a minute, uh, but I thought I'd just give uh, by way of intro. Really, these first two weeks in Proverbs is spending time understanding Proverbs 1 to 9. Proverbs 1 to 9 is the kind of setup uh, for the book of Proverbs. It really seeks to kind of increase our thirst uh, for God's wisdom and to see actually it's a, it's a really powerful and life-changing thing so that when we get into uh, chapters 10 to 29, which is a bit more of the familiar sort of random uh, proverbs all put together, uh, that we'd be ready to mine that uh, for all of its worth. Uh, but we're going to do something a little different as we start off uh, this morning. Um, we're uh, going to have the Bible reading for today from uh, chapter 9, and Nathan will read that for us in a second. Then after that, we're going to watch a short video that goes for about three minutes. Uh, it's wonderfully well put together, and it has much in it that we'll resonate with. It has, however, a very common worldview at its heart that sees no need for God and His wisdom. Uh, so, got your Bible with you? Open it up to Proverbs chapter 9 or your app on your phone uh, or something like that. Uh, we'll read it. After that, we'll go straight into the video and I'll be back up. So see what you think of the images and words used to convey its worldview. Kind of think through what are this video's underlying assumptions as it seeks to move us emotionally to pursue the wisdom that it portrays. But first, uh, Nathan with Proverbs chapter 9. Thanks, man. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She's also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, Come eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers, or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house, on the seat, on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by. Let all who go straight on their way, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Living is difficult. It is full of sticky situations and exceptions to truisms. But you don't need it to be spelled out of a book to live by strong moral principle. I want to be the best person that I can be. I want to do well by people. To love deeply and be loved deeply. I want the best life I can get. 
be excited to wake up in the morning. I want to think of our existence. To stretch and bruise my brain through learning. To raise children who love learning. Who are confident and open and love others. I want to pass to them as many of my pros and as few of my cons as possible. I want to laugh, to enjoy the pleasures of food and travel and art and literature. To see great sunsets and be thrashed by great storms. I want to shiver with wonder and awe at the universe. Nature, to sob at the absurd, unbearable brightness of human existence, to glow red at the heat of human triumphs. I shake my head in shame and disbelief at our broken record failures. I want to be stirred by music, to be broken by drama. I want to live forever. See the appeal of slipping away eventually into the eternal quiet. A human lifetime is a seasoned growth of a tiny twig. The human branch, the marble limb of the tree of life. It is a carnival ride and a game of dice. The low bar survival. The high bar is progress. The taste of brie, the sound of children's laughter, are the sustaining fuel keeping us aloft through the surprises of each fresh day. Well, how did that video strike you? I think you're probably the Trinity Church uh, well-versed in listening to a video with a strong accent. Um, It seeks to win you over, doesn't it? Portraying a view of wisdom that seems valuable if you desire to live the good life. We'll be spending most of our time in God's uh, Word, as you might expect. But there's a lot to love about that video. The wonder of learning, travel, good food and wine with friends children's laughter, the desire to do good to others, an appreciation of art and literature, beautiful sunsets, forests, brie and good coffee. To really love others and to be truly loved. As a video, in terms of conveying a message, I think it's quite stunning. I first saw it a few years back and I've watched it many times since. And each time I watch it, I find it, in parts at least... Uh, inspirational. Yet I always watch it knowing that at its core the underlying worldview could not be more different than my own. Its view of wisdom and where it is found stands at odds to God's word. And it gets right to the point, doesn't it, as it kicks off. Living is difficult, it's full of sticky situations and exceptions to truisms which is a profound and timely turn of phrase, particularly as we study Proverbs, which contains in itself many truisms. 
with a truism being something that is generally but not always true. It's the wisdom books in the Bible, Job and Ecclesiastes, that stand alongside such truisms to explore the complex depths of the exceptions to God's truisms that we face in life. And the next line in the video gets to the heart of where they're going, that while living is difficult, quote, you don't need it spelled out in a book to live by strong moral principle. Cut to a shot of someone reading what looks like a Bible than an image of the sky going dark over a church steeple before listing many attributes and desires. The video is essentially saying, come follow me, find wisdom, be a person of real depth and purpose and experience life to the full without reference to God. Because as it puts across, we're a wonder of evolution. The human race is a light burning brightly in the universe. Life is a carnival ride full of ups and downs. It's a game of chance. So do good, be good. Whereas Proverbs is saying, find wisdom and life from God's hand. Work out what it means to live in fear of Him. That's the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One, which is understanding. To live well, to receive favour from God and to find real life. We'll draw out that contrast some more and evaluate the merits of both after we've had a look at our passage today together. We're going to look at Proverbs 8 and 9. Uh, But for those who weren't here with us last week, in chapters 1 to 3, we saw that the main point kind of being made is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise God's wisdom and instruction. That was verse 7 of chapter 1, the sort of the set-up verse for the book. And the main point I tried to make from chapter 2 was that understanding the fear of the Lord isn't just like a three-point proposition. It's something to be toiled for, a worldview, a connection to reality brought about by applying your heart to understanding, storing up God's commands, calling for insight, searching for it like treasure. And it was great to hear when I walked in today, some have found the daily Bible reading guides uh, really encouraging And if you've done them this week, you would have covered chapters 4 to 7 and you would have seen that sort of enduring great call that is brought out in chapter 4, that urging to pursue wisdom at any cost, this wisdom from God. And then there's an extended warning against embracing folly in its many forms and it leans quite heavily on the imagery of being seduced by adultery. Then we make the turn at chapter 8, just before our reading today, with yet another compelling call to all mankind to embrace God's wisdom personified once more. So Proverbs kind of uses that as a device. It it kind of imagines God's wisdom as a person, calling out to us, verse 1, with trustworthy sayings, verse 6, chapter 8, speaking only what is right, things that are self-evidently good for the discerning, those who seek wisdom and knowledge from lady wisdom, learning how to fear the Lord. And verse 13 
Our picture of what that means is filled out some more. It'll be up on screen there for you. Chapter 8, verse 13. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behaviour and perverse speech. That's uh, a verse that really covers its bases quite well in regard to what God in his wisdom hates. Evil behaviour is a pretty big catch-all. Perverse speech covers a lot too. And as you grow older, you realise just how powerful our words can be for good or for evil. And as you get into chapters 10 to 29, you get many such proverbs talking about uh, speech as one of the recurring topics that keeps coming up, guiding us and warning us on how we use our words. But this verse also touches on sort of the posture of the heart with pride and arrogance being singled out as attitudes that God hates. It's kind of the opposite to living rightly, fearing the Lord, as Proverbs puts it. Now, let me just own up front. We don't really like the term fear of the Lord. It's something that worries us particularly when it comes to explaining our faith to others. And if you missed last week, please do catch up online. But if you're here just checking out Jesus or listening in online, and uh, I would say this is the point to tune in, not out, because it's super important for all of us to get this right if we're to get the book of Proverbs. Let's first try and understand sort of the culture that we live in at present and how the concept of the fear of the Lord jars with it so much. Uh, One of the podcasts I like is called This Cultural Moment by a guy called Mark Sayers from Melbourne. There's a few seasons out now. I haven't listened to them all. But in the first season, he does a great uh, job of sort of seeing how culture has developed over time. And he refers to uh, what he calls first, second and third culture. So first culture refers to the times and places in history and in some places around the world today where people have a deep sense of spiritual forces, there's this sort of conceptual idea that there's multiple gods, often deep tension in the world and the universe and fear. Many cultures left that centuries ago, but it still persists in some. Uh, But think kind of Roman Empire before Christianity with its multitude of gods. Think today of many of the tribal and animistic cultures multiple gods to be appeased and sacrificed to. So second culture then refers to the great monotheistic cultures, this idea of one God, the ones that sort of have deeply influenced Judaism, Christianity and Islam. Uh, Much of the Middle East uh, today is still second culture and certainly our heritage in Australia uh, is shaped by second culture where there's an idea of one God at the centre of life. And of course, many of our laws and our culture, our legal and parliamentary systems were deeply shaped during years when as a country we had this idea that there was a God at the centre of it all. Their culture then is best described as the cultures around the world that are working hard at leaving God behind and almost defining themselves against God. So take, for example, the sort of push to cleanse every reference to God from public life, in parliament, in our schools and actually but it's starting to work against 
sort of second culture and people who believe in one God, seeking to marginalise those who still follow him. It's not a new thing, it's been happening for uh, a while now, it's just that Christians have recently woken up to it and the pace at which God is being expunged from public life is certainly picking up. So then in our time, it's a great challenge to be a Christian, to hold to a worldview that there's an all-powerful God who dearly loves us and that part of living in relationship with Him means that we defer to Him, we respect Him, we seek His wisdom diligently to look to Him. That's part of that idea of living rightly, understood, under the fear of the Lord. We look to God... We defer to Him to develop real character in us and live by God's definition of what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. But of course, you will all be familiar that the world is increasingly saying, no, no, we've moved past God now. Society is rewriting a book, removing God's wisdom, moving past God's standard of right and wrong, unacceptable behaviour, sexual practice, ethics and most importantly, this attitude of the heart. So whatever your uh, personal view on same-sex marriage, it is but one example of a big societal shift to define itself against the previous view that was deeply shaved by the Bible's view of marriage and family between one man and one woman. And as I said, it's been happening for some time now, but in many eras of life, it is hard to live as a Christian in a cultural moment like this. And as chapter 3 last week encouraged us to trust in God with all of our heart, leaning not on our own understanding, submitting all our ways to God, not to be wise in our own eyes, but to fear the Lord and to shun evil. We hear that in a time where society is defining itself against such an idea, where Christians are now often pitied at best, but despised more frequently for being so unenlightened, so regressive, for even considering such an option rightly understood to live under the fear of the Lord as Proverbs encourages us to do. But for all of us, however... And particularly if you're just checking out Jesus, note the logic of Proverbs so far and the placement of this concept from verse 13 in the middle of such a chapter. The logic was set up for us, chapter 1, to fear the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. But to those who have that attitude of the heart that will submit to God humbly we find access to God's wisdom and listen to how good it is to do so from verse 14 where we hear from God, counsel and sound judgment at mine, I have insight, I have power, by me kings reign, verse 15, by me princes govern, verse 16. And I'll pop on screen this next section of text from verse 17 of chapter 8. Listen along to these very kind of moving words from God as the kind of personified Lady Wisdom. Chapter 8, verse 17. I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. With me, 
are riches and honour. Enduring wealth and prosperity, my fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasuries full. This is not wisdom from an easily angered God, unpredictable or vindictive. It is from a God who loves and longs to bless humanity abundantly. It is wisdom from an infinitely powerful God whose wisdom is so much greater than ours, yet out of love wants to give us access to it. A God who we read wove his wisdom into the very factum, the very fabric of the world and a life that works best. I'll read from verse 22 to the end of the chapter. Read along with me up on screen, chapter 8, verses 22 onwards. As we read these incredibly moving words as God personified as Lady Wisdom speaks. Verse 22. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. That wisdom was there. I was formed long ages ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I, this is God's wisdom, was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep. When he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was constantly at his side, says Lady Wisdom. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me, says God's wisdom, find me, find life and receive favour from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. Now if you're here today or listening along online, checking out who Jesus is, perhaps wondering if there might be any benefit here for you, you have to at least see the logic that if this is all true, if there really is a creator God who deeply loves us, who is infinitely wise and wove his wisdom into the creation of the world, who calls us, wanting us to find him and his wisdom to find real life, then it makes sense to humble ourselves before him in his presence, to seek his wisdom with great passion, fervour and persistence, and to see that it's folly to ignore him, 
and very unwise for our world to declare quite proudly, we've moved on from God. And in our arrogance, define ourselves, our community, our standards of right and wrong against him. If you're exploring who Jesus is, whether or not this is true really matters. We have a big choice to make. Will we build our lives upon the wisdom of God or will we disregard it and build upon another foundation? Jesus, of course, is God's wisdom made flesh. And he made this exact point for us in Matthew chapter 7. I think if you studied Proverbs for a while, read back through Jesus, you'll realise how soaked he is in the wisdom of God. I'll read it for you up on screen, Matthew 7, 24 to 28. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because of the great delight God takes in humanity, his longing to bless us is to lead us to find true life. In his great wisdom, he sent Jesus to die on the cross to bear the penalty of our sins for our rejection of God, our pride and our arrogance and thinking we know better, amongst many other things. Jesus bore the penalty of that on his shoulders so that God's holy justice could remain intact because sin is punished. Yet for all who trust in this substitutionary death of Jesus and give their life to following Jesus, we find forgiveness, relationship with God and true life. And from that position of absolute freedom are called to embrace the wisdom of God the wisdom of the God we've been reconciled to, and this very day build our lives upon the strong foundation of his word to us, his word made flesh in Christ. And so we come to sort of the end of this first section of Proverbs in chapter 9. We've already had it read to us, but have it open in front of you if you can. Proverbs 9, where we see wisdom personified, we'll call her Lady Wisdom, is contrasted with another woman, folly personified. We'll call her Dame Folly. So Lady Wisdom, God's Wisdom, Dame Folly, uh, embracing folly and rejecting God. Now the character of these two is entirely different. Lady Wisdom has built her house. She's set up its pillars, she's prepared. Generous with the table she's laid out, with meat and well-blended wine already laid out. It's an image of richness and provision. She's proactive, sending her servants out into the city to call those looking for wisdom. Let all who are simple come to my house. Dame Folly, however, 
is not so. She's described, verse 13 of chapter 9, an unruly woman, simple, who knows nothing. Picture her, far less proactive, a far less beautiful sight, slouched against the door of her house, calling out to those who pass by, let all who are simple come to my house. There are two competing calls going out in the city from wisdom and folly personified as two very differently motivated women. But the call itself, if you noticed, has the exact same content. They both say, let all who are simple come to my house. From that point, it's indistinguishable. Yet the intent and goal of Lady Wisdom and Dame Folly could not be more different. Lady Wisdom wants to give you insight, verse 6. Lady Wisdom knows that mockers will always mock, but the wise love instruction, and by listening to her will add to their instruction, to their learning. And as a bookend to all that we've seen in these first nine chapters... There's an exclamation point for us not to miss, and we have it, chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. But Dame Folly's call has a very different end game in mind, intent to lead us into evil. And to those who have no sense, she says, verse 17, stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is delicious but little do they know that the dead are there and her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Now, when it's put like that, it seems to us that surely we wouldn't be so unwise as to spot the difference, to spot the folly here. But remember the great summary of chapters 1 to 9 that through those middle chapters, we've had a much more detailed look at the power and seductive nature of folly. And it leans heavily on the illustration uh, of adultery and explores it as a form of folly that we get our logic of. Now, I just want to say before we dive into this, you know, if you've either suffered at the hands of or uh, perpetuated adultery, um, you're very welcome Uh, here as part of our church and God continues to offer out his wisdom and life and forgiveness and you might know from either end the sheer destruction of breaking a relationship in such a way it's very much it's probably the dominant theme across the bible of how God sort of explains and gets us to feel our rejection of him and how he feels about it and the pain and chaos caused But as Proverbs explores adultery, it's trying to show us what you might call a bait and switch. Folly coming to you at a time when perhaps you're worn down, feeling dead to the world, lifeless in the monotony of things. And a new person comes along who has time to listen to you, who you feel really gets you. There's excitement new possibilities. Unlike at home where there's bills to pay, the school run, home maintenance, perhaps an underlying resentment. And then at the office, a simple smile brings warmth, 
hands brush past each other and it's like electricity flowing, bringing life and colour. Back to a monotone world. So as the uh, bait is held out before you, something that seems so tempting, yet when you indulge, then comes the switch. You didn't realise that there was a hook there beneath the bait. And what you actually get is a lack of, uh, a loss of honour and standing amongst family and friends that you love. Your wealth often ends up divided in half, often shared with strangers. Such folly never delivers. It's always a bait and switch. And Proverbs chapter 9 kind of raises the stakes after kind of building this uh, picture of embracing folly. And we're meant to realise the danger when we see that folly mimics wisdom's call exactly. But we know as the reader that Dame Folly has ill intent now combined with great skill and seduction. The world's folly calls out to us, God is not there. You don't need to search for his wisdom with such diligence. You don't need to humble yourself before a holy God. Wisdom is easy. Do good to others. Together we can find an easier road to, road to wholeness. Let's pursue justice together, equality, learning, progress. Together we can create a better life without God. You don't need forgiveness. Guilt is something you can let go of. It's been impressed on you unfairly. You're special. You have a good heart. Come follow me. Let's move on from God together, says folly. But folly does not deliver. Folly has no intent on delivering. Consider for a moment the rather utopian ideal put forward in our video. It, I, think, I love the video because it puts forward a worldview that we see in movies and advertising and political campaigns all around us. That we can have freedom to embrace a stimulating career whilst sipping the most ethical cup of coffee in the world in a beautiful part Scandi, part hipster cafe working on your $3,000 MacBook Pro. I'm a Mac man myself, so I'm not lining up Mac people there. <laughs> but before, you know, returning home to the love of your life and having all the time you like with kids and have the financial freedom to pursue travel, learning, entertainment with great food and drink. That's what our world puts to us as wisdom. And we need to acknowledge it's very seductive. Yet, when you step back and look at it, impartially you actually see that to pursue that life you need a fair bit of wealth you also need to live in a wealthy country with strong borders to give you the space to pursue it only letting in a small number of refugees your life when you stand back and have a look at it is actually built on the back of the low-paid factory worker in vietnam who made your shoes the lonely seafarers missing their family as they shipped your shoes and MacBook from Asia, the low-paid 
local truck driver trapped close to the poverty line, working extraordinary hours to put food on the table for his own kids. The logic and economics of the utopian idea we get sold constantly simply do not work. A good life for you, in the world's logic, does not mean a good life for everyone. And to cope, we know this, and to cope with the guilt it creates, we tell ourselves, we've worked harder, we're generous, we blame the government for society's ills, the world powers, the evil dictators, the world, they're the problem. We lament our government's uh, drop-in aid uh, to the poor, which has been astounding, that drop over the last decade. We express a little outrage from time to time at the shameful treatment of refugees. But it's actually us, our society, that expects the government to be generous on one hand, yet we still expect the economic miracle of lower taxes, higher wealth for us, better health services to keep us alive for longer, more money for our schools, better social security, more financial assistance for daycare so that we can work longer hours and amass for ourselves higher debt levels than any generation before us. It's we and our society that widens the gap between the rich and the poor. And as most of us fall short of this utopian ideal, we're grappling with spiralling rates of poor mental health. I could kind of go on, but I think I've made the point. It's a total bait and switch to be sold this idea that you can live a great life. Reject God. I know you want to live forever, but embrace the idea to be at peace in slipping off to the eternal quiet, as the video put it. Not knowing that we're actually created for eternity by a God who delights in us who longs to give us wisdom, who has already done everything necessary to deal with our sin through his Son, Jesus Christ. And only by giving ourselves to him, embracing his path to wisdom, building our world around him, can we actually find life. Folly constantly entices us away from this truth. And little do her followers know that they're being led to an unnecessary death. As Proverbs 1 to 9 comes to a close, it speaks of that great surprise that awaits all those who turn away from Lady Wisdom and enter into Dame Folly's house instead by rejecting God and his Messiah Jesus. As it closes, but little do they know that the dead are there that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. It's the ultimate bait and switch. Whereas wisdom, God's wisdom, offers us life, while at the same time hating evil, God provides salvation from its penalty. Through his Son wiping sin's penalty away, out of great love, bearing sin's penalty on his shoulders so that we don't have to, calling us then to build our lives upon the foundation he lays, the solid rock that is Jesus. We can experience the storms of life 
and I'm, I know amongst the church I'm a part of, there's plenty of people who have experienced a fair few in recent years. But we can experience them with God, trusting in Him, knowing that we won't be swept away. We can experience life joys and struggles with confidence. There is so much good in that video I showed, but it falls so short of the beauty God really offers us to kind of take some of the images of that video and adjust it to a Christian worldview, you can hold on to that newborn baby after a night of little sleep, watching a new day dawn, coffee in hand, knowing that that baby that you're holding is so much more than evolution's highest point burning brightly in the universe, that we as humanity are instead the pinnacle of God's creation where God made that child, was made by God, for God, who rejoices in that little life. A God who delights in humanity, who wants us to live under his loving rule, under the fear of the Lord, with a great promise of eternity and blessing. We don't simply have to shake our heads at our broken record of failure as a world, its wars, its, its tragedies. We can instead trust in a God who has promised to wipe it all away upon Jesus' return where justice will be done once for all. We're called now to be part of God's building of this kingdom where the good life for you doesn't mean that it comes at the cost of other people in our world. But rather, together, we can take up the call to be self-sacrificial by our very nature, other person-centred, giving over our time, our energy, our resources for the sake of others, whether it's sending missionaries to all corners of the globe, planting as many churches as we can in our city. At our core, we can truly be other person-centred under Christ. Wisdom and folly's call to the good life can seem so similar at first. There's so much in that video that I do love and aspire to, and rightly so. But wisdom's call at its heart is very different, and it leads you down a very different path to get there. And once you understand that tension, the danger, the joys, the reward the real need to pursue God's wisdom and with all your heart reject folly, seeing that living under the fear of the Lord is a beautiful, life-giving exercise, then you're ready to dive into Proverbs 10 to 29 and get the most out of it. I encourage you to do so in the daily reading guides this week. We'll be back next week and I'll be in Colin's hands. There's a few different ways we could finish off this series. Uh, But I pray that after these first two sermons, you can really just see that tension at the heart of our world. Embrace God and his wisdom, shown most profoundly in the Lord Jesus Christ, or reject it and embrace folly that only leads to death. That is the tension of Proverbs. That is the tension in our world. And we'll be back next week to explore it more. I'll close for now in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word to us. Uh, shown uh, particularly in the book of Proverbs. We thank you for these first nine chapters that set up so powerfully with such evocative images 
just the great uh, joy and love and delight you take in humanity and just how much you want people to embrace your wisdom and find life. We pray for each person here today, wherever they're at with you, uh, exploring Jesus for the first time, uh, newly following you, or have been following you long time or short. We pray that we might all be encouraged in our hearts by your Spirit to embrace your wisdom in our lives and to reject our folly. Uh, Please help us to do that individually in our households and we pray that uh, this church family here at Woodcroft uh, might be a place uh, filled with your wisdom and uh, constant and regular encouragement uh, to embrace your ways in this world and not to to look uh, defensively or fearfully at those who embrace fully in our world, but please help us to look out with compassion and confidence, holding out the very personification of wisdom in self, our Lord Jesus Christ to our world, and your wisdom in sending him to the cross to die for our sins so that all who come to him can be reconciled to you and embrace life. Please equip us for this task for our great encouragement and for your glory and honour and for the sake of those who don't know you. And it's in Jesus' precious and powerful name we pray. Amen.